We pray, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Bless us as we dig into your word more deeply this morning. Uh, send your Holy Spirit to us to strengthen our faith and to equip us to, to live for you in these final days of our world. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. One hundred and eighty-seven. And I guess what that number represents. You'll never guess it. Uh, 187. That is the number of mainstream apocalyptic films that have been released since, just since the year 2000. 187 full-length feature films all about the end of the world. So, in some of these movies, the world is getting destroyed by natural disasters like earthquakes or hurricanes or floods. And in some of these movies, the world is being destroyed by technology, like nuclear bombs or supercomputers or artificial intelligence. And in some of these movies, the world is being destroyed by a disease, like a virus or a pandemic or, you know, a plague full of zombies, perhaps. Uh, but as we think about all these films, we start to ask ourselves the question, why is Hollywood so obsessed with the end of the world? Well, Hollywood just gives the people what they want. So a better question is, why are people so obsessed with the end of the world? And it's not just movies, it's not just pop culture, it's science as well. I feel like every few months you'll see another kind of major article that is, you know, speculating about how global warming or a new and deadlier pandemic or indeed artificial intelligence, or plastic in the ocean, is going to finally cause the end of human civilization as we know it. Um, so where does this fascination come from? Why are people so fascinated by the end of the world? I think first, it's because clearly there is something wrong with our world. Um, it's flawed. It's deficient. It is not the way that it is supposed to be. Um, but secondly, if you're looking for a culprit, if you're looking for a reason why things are not the way that they're supposed to be, how could you not blame human beings? Or at least think about human beings. Like, after all, is this not the common thread in all of these end-of-the-world movies? The climate changes because of human pollution. And the nuclear bomb gets detonated because of human war. And the government-designed killer robot becomes self-aware and goes on its killing spree and destroys civilization as we know it because the human scientists who created that robot were so proud that they didn't shut it down when they had the chance. And the same goes for all the science stuff, right? Like, who is to blame for carbon emissions? Who is to blame for plastic in the oceans? Who is to blame if artificial intelligence does indeed get out of control and take over the world? The greatest threat to human civilization is humans ourselves. And people know this. Like, pretty broadly, people recognize this. And what's ironic, of course, is that these are completely biblical concepts, aren't they? Like, the Bible teaches us that when God first made the world, it was perfect and holy and, and flawless. And then came the fall into sin. 
And with the fall into sin, not only is the human race now flawed and deficient, but the entire created universe is flawed and deficient. And Paul writes in the book of Romans that if the universe had a voice, it would be groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Uh, it would be uncomfortable, unhappy, longing for all of this to just be over so that a better day can dawn. So, movies are focused on the end of the world. Scientists are focused on the end of the world. The Bible is focused on the end of the world. And so you would think that when the day comes that the world actually ends, like, probably it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. And yet in our sermon text today from 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul reminds his readers and he reminds us that when the last day does arrive, it is actually going to be a surprise to lots and lots of people. So, <coughs> Paul makes his points in this text by using a variety of different pictures. We'll just talk about a few of them. Here is one of the first ones that he rolls out. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That picture is probably not super hard to understand, right? If, uh, you know, heaven forbid, if a burglar is going to come break into your house, they usually don't RSVP, right? They, they probably don't send you a save the date. They just show up at your house at a time you're not expecting, and maybe they break in and they steal all your stuff before you even realize what's going on. In the same way, when Jesus comes again on the last day, I mean, he's RSVP'd, but he's not going to send us a save the date, telling us the exact day or hour. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples, and he tells us, keep watch, because the Son of Man is going to show up at an hour when you do not expect him. Kind of like a thief coming in the night, but with much better results for God's children. Still, suddenly, unexpectedly. Now, Paul switches to a different picture. <clears throat> he says, while people are saying peace and safety at the end of the world, destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So what is the idea with this picture? Um, I've never been in labor myself, but I've, I've observed this, I've seen this, and labor does come on kind of suddenly. Like, you're sleeping in bed, you wake up, you don't feel totally normal, and you're like, you know what? I think this is it, honey. We need to get the hospital bag, and we need to start thinking about uh, you know, going to have this baby. But it starts, it starts quickly. However, it doesn't start just totally out of the blue. Um, there are some warning signs that maybe labor might be coming. For example, you've been pregnant for nine months. Um, your belly is growing. There's something inside that's kicking and moving around and making it clear that like pretty soon it's going to be time to come out. There are warning signs that labor is coming, even if you don't know exactly when it starts. And so as you, as you picture this, like imagine if there's a couple who's expecting a baby and they just never bothered to make a plan. No plan of packing bags for the hospital, no thoughts of what the transportation is going to be, no parents coming into town to help, just no plan at all. And all of a sudden, one day, the woman goes into labor, and the couple starts panicking. Like, what is this? What, what's happening? Like, now what are we supposed to do? And in a way, it would be kind of hard to feel sorry for this couple, because what were you doing for the last nine months? Like, what did you think was going to be the end result here? The baby's not going to stay inside forever. Like, you knew this day was coming. How do you not have anything prepared at all? Are you serious? Um, and Paul is saying that for some people, for many people, this is what the last day of the world is going to be like. Um, 
even though there have been clear and obvious signs that it can't last forever, there have been clear and obvious signs that eventually this is coming to an end, on that day there are going to be many people who find themselves just completely unprepared. <coughs> then how does that happen? Well, it happens when people get trapped by the darkness of this world. So we got one metaphor after another, but really the whole rest of this text is kind of one big running picture. And, and the picture is this. I want you to imagine this. Imagine that life in this world, this sin-darkened world, this whole existence that we're in, it's like nighttime. It's always nighttime. And there's, there's scary things, there's dark things, there's evil things in this broken world. So everything in this world is, is like a nighttime. The last day, when Jesus comes again, is going to be like morning. The sun finally comes up. Dawn is finally here. And as we've talked about, Jesus creates a new heaven and a new earth for his children, and we get to live there forever. But this is the running picture, that this whole world is a nighttime, and we're waiting for the dawn to come. While we are in this situation of nighttime, waiting for the dawn to come, there are some specific temptations that we face. The first one is the temptation to stay sleeping in the dark. So, first of all, sleep is important. I mean, we read, that, we read this all the time. Our doctors tell us this all the time. You should probably get more sleep. Uh, it's good for you. It's important. It, it refreshes you. But there are some times when maybe sleeping would not be a good idea, and in fact, sleeping could be deadly. For example, if you're driving on a road trip. Or if you and some fellow soldiers are, let's say you're defending a fortress and you are waiting for an enemy attack that you know is coming exactly at dawn. It's 4.30 a.m., it's 5 a.m., the sun is coming up at any minute, you're really tired, but this is not a good time for a nap. You need to stay awake so you can be ready for what is about to happen next. Spiritually speaking, this is our situation. Jesus is coming soon, very soon. This is not a time to be napping. Paul writes to the Romans, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than it was when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Spiritually, this is not a time to be sleeping. And yet, it is very tempting to do exactly that. Why is this? Well, we talked about it last week, this idea of uh, what our modern world is like. And we said our modern world is very comfortable. Um, maybe not emotionally, maybe not mentally, but physically. Our modern world is very, very comfortable. You can listen to any song you want exactly when you want. You can watch any show that you want exactly when you want. You can order any item that you want from Amazon exactly when you want to have it. And if there's a delay of 12 hours, you can complain because this is not the way it's supposed to be. We get the things that we want right when we want them. And just like relatively speaking, our level of comfort in our day-to-day -day life is extremely high compared to other times and places in history. So, when you're living a very comfortable life here, in some ways, it's hard to think about a different life and a different world and eternity, because this life maybe seems to be going pretty well. Comfortable. <coughs> Secondly, uh, life in our modern world is at the same time very busy. So the same technology that allows us to have everything we want right when we want it also allows us to work 24-7 and to communicate 
24-7, and we're just always doing something. We're always talking to someone. There's not much time for quietness. There's not much time for, for deep thought. In the same way, when you're just really concerned and consumed with all the things that you're doing in this world, there's not a lot of time left to sit back and think about eternity. So ironically, if you can picture this, like we could be physically very active, we could be physically very involved in this world, and yet spiritually we are sound asleep. Because we are only thinking about this temporary life and we are just not thinking at all about what comes after. The temptation to be caught sleeping in the dark. And here's the other temptation that Paul mentions. This would be the temptation of sinning in the dark. And here's how Paul puts it. He says, those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. And Paul could have listed a thousand different sins besides getting drunk. Uh, but his point is, people do things in the darkness that they would be ashamed to do in the day. People do things in the darkness that they wouldn't want anybody else to see. And because our world is shrouded in the darkness of sins, there are times when all of us, we find ourselves doing things and thinking things that we would never want anybody else to see or to know about, right? And in this sin-darkened world, it can feel safe to do these things. No one else sees them. No one else sees what I'm thinking. No one else sees what I'm doing. Maybe I've thought it or I've done it a hundred different times and nothing bad has ever happened to me. So our sinful behaviors feel safe in the dark. But the day is coming when God will turn on the lights. Right? Jesus will come in brightness and glory. And as he told his disciples in Luke chapter 8, there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed. There is nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. And on that day, all those who are sleeping in the dark, all those who are sinning in the dark, will suddenly, publicly be revealed. So by this point... If you're like me, maybe you're thinking, what chance do I possibly have when this last day comes? Because I have been spiritually asleep so often during my life. And I have felt safe and secure so often while sinning in the dark. With all of my distractions and all of my temptations and all of my sins, how am I possibly going to be ready for the day when Christ comes again? Well, the answer is, there is no way that we can be ready on our own. But God will make us ready. God is making you ready right now. And the first way that God makes us ready is simply by waking us up. So, <clears throat> when I was in college, my friends and I invented uh, this horrible prank that we would do to each other. And the prank involved a pair of symbols that somebody had found uh, on the football field from the pep band, you know, after the game was over. And so the prank was this, was that they took the symbols into the dormitory and you'd go to someone who's sleeping, just sound asleep in the middle of the night. You'd open the door, you'd creep up really quietly and then just clash the symbols right next to the person's head while they're sleeping. So this happened to me one time. I was sleeping and I got symboled. And I'll just tell you, this was an unpleasant experience. Um, it's almost like an out-of-body out experience where every muscle of your body is just contracting and your heart my heart started beating so incredibly fast I thought it was never going to stop. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't speak. 
just the, the sheer shock of being symboled awake out of a deep sleep. So it was not pleasant, but I will tell you, I was awake now. So, typically much more kindly and lovingly than my friends with the symbols, God finds ways to wake us up, to jolt us awake. Maybe he allows a loved one to go before us to heaven. Maybe he allows us to have our own brush with death and we see how close it was and it shakes us up, it it sobers us a little bit. Maybe he allows us to look at ourselves in the mirror and see that we don't look quite as young as we did and we see our kids and they're getting older and older to replace us in this world and we're just reminded of this life isn't going to last forever. God finds all kinds of ways to wake us up to the shortness of this life and to make us think about the eternity that's coming. But more importantly, God wakes us up with the bright, shining light of his word. And God's word is so incredibly encouraging when it comes to this topic of eternity. Because what does God say about your eternity? God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. You understand what that's saying? God wants you to live with him in that light of eternity, that day that never ends. And God wants it so badly, he's not going to let it depend on you. Instead, it depends on Jesus, who came 2,000 years ago and lived a perfect life where he's totally awake, he's totally dialed in, he's never sinning, he's never distracted, lived that whole life in your place for you. And then Jesus died on the cross, And with his blood, he washed away all of your sins and all of my sins and all the things that we've hidden in the dark and all the things that we've become comfortable with. He washed all our sins away. And then in your life, Jesus took that salvation he had accomplished and he put it on you, specifically in your baptism. In your baptism, God gave you a new identity as a child of the light, a child of the day. God says, no, you're not absolutely perfect in your actions and behaviors right now, but this is who you are. You're a child of the day, the eternal day. When heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee and Jesus comes again and creates the new world, it's going to be for you. You're going to get to live there. And God says, that is already who you are. That is who you will be eternally, and that is already who you are, a child of the day. You are all children of the light. You're children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, the hope of salvation as a helmet. Everything Jesus has done for us is like our weapon. It is protecting us. It is shielding us. We know we're going to be with God in heaven. But that also encourages us to be awake and to live as children of the day right now. It also encourages us to wake up more people by shining the light of Jesus' love onto them. So we started uh, this sermon by talking about movies. Let's end this sermon by talking about movies. Uh, Have you ever seen a movie where the main characters are trying to survive the villain or the enemy and the only way that they can do it is by staying awake? 
Like, don't fall asleep, and if you fall asleep, the bad guy is going to get you. Have you seen a movie like that? There's a whole bunch of different ones, horror movies, adventure movies. And in a movie like this, where it is critically important to stay awake, the, the characters are all exhausted. But they're trying every technique they can to keep their eyes open, right? You know, chugging coffee after coffee, jumping jacks, listening to loud music, standing up, not sitting down. They're still almost falling asleep one at a time. <clears throat> but like any good horror movie or any good adventure movie with moderate success, the characters are trying to help each other and keep each other awake and keep each other accountable and doing everything they can to work as a team so that nobody falls asleep. This is what Paul encourages Christians to do in the very last verse. He says, therefore, encourage each other and build one another up, just as, in fact, you are doing. We're in this together. We keep each other accountable. We don't let each other fall asleep. And yet there is one key difference between the characters in all those horror movies and so forth, between them and us. And this is the key difference. All of their staying up makes them tired. Right? The whole movie they've been staying up, they've got to defeat the bad guy, they finally defeat the bad guy, and now they're exhausted. And presumably, after the credits have rolled, if this movie were to continue, all the characters would be taking like a 24-hour nap. You know, they made it to the end, and now they can sleep because they are exhausted. For us, it's the opposite. That when God wakes us up from our slumber, staying awake is what's actually refreshing. What's exhausting is sleeping in this dark, sin-broken world where there is so much suffering, so much negativity, so much pain, so much of our own sin, so much of our own guilt, sleeping in this world and sinning in the darkness. That's what's exhausting. When God wakes us up, this is what's refreshing. When God calls us his children of the light, this is what's energizing. And we don't want to go back to sleep. And someday we're never going to have to go back to sleep again. God turns on that refreshing light of being his children, and now we are so refreshed. Not only can we make it through the nighttime on our own, not only can we stay awake and, and stay out of those deeds of darkness, but even more, we can reach out to the people around them. Maybe not clashing symbols next to their heads, but turning on the light of what Jesus has done and waking more and more people up from their slumber so that they also can walk to the eternal day that Jesus has prepared for us. God grant us lives of, of wakefulness and lives of great benefit to the people that we interact with. God grant that to all of us, for Jesus' sake. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your Savior. Amen.